Today is the April 10th, 2022 meeting of Hope Bible Church. Steve Hogan's message is titled, John 5 and the Gospel. If you would like to support our sermon audio ministry, please click the Give button on our sermon audio homepage. Thank you. Our reading this morning will be out of Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 13 to 20. So that's Colossians 1, uh, 13 to 20. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, just uh, thank you that you uh, reveal to us your Son in your word, Lord. And by your Spirit, you help us to understand his relationship to you, who he is to us, and just forgiveness through his work. We are so grateful and come today to worship you with that in mind, Lord, and just thankful that you continue to teach us through your word and through each other, and uh, we praise you for that. We ask you um, that today we would uh, walk away um, changed even more to be more like your son, that we might glorify you and give praise to you. That's what we desire today, and just help us to do so as we are weak in our flesh in our minds as we try to concentrate and and understand and but we know uh, that your spirit is there for us uh, that he will help us we praise you for it in Christ's name amen good morning welcome to Hope Bible Church this hundredth day of the year so far the Lord has been good to us so far this is a beautiful day I don't, I love this weather. I tell you, this is, yesterday, today, was absolutely wonderful. Wish I could bottle it, but the Lord knows it'll get a little warmer. We thank him for these days, the weather he gives us. Last 10 days, um, probably some of the hardest days of my life with respect to this one particular theme, things that I have heard in the news, read in the internet, about things that they are doing to children and teaching the children just pure, pure evil. Sickening. I, it just, I, I just, it's so hard to listen to it. And you might have heard some of these same things, but I've heard a number of things. I could give you many stories, and if you want to hear more, I'll tell you what I know in the fellowship hall. 
But it's sad. It shows the evil of our country, where things are going, this downward slide, this downward trend. And, but yet we're Christians. You know, we read in, in Philippians 2 about this, you know, corruption, this godless world we live in. That's the way it is. But I have to tell you one thing. When that happens, it, it, I get motivated. I get motivated to do what I know to do, which is to be right here and teach. I do a blog, get the word out, and talk to people too, one-on-one, discipling things. But I'm motivated. I really am. i got to do what I can do. And for all of you, you should be motivated. Okay, what can I do? And for, for sure, we all can be ones who share the truth. And for sure, we can all be ones who pray. Those are two most important things that we can do as a Christian. And with that, as Steve mentioned, as I'm sharing too, we can testify to the truth, be ones who share our testimony. That's why I'm excited about going through the Gospel of John. And when I talk about the word gospel, it really, in my mind, it means two things. First, the gospel can refer to the four gospels, to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the four biographies of Jesus Christ. We read in the Old Testament about Jesus. We read in the epistles about Jesus. We read in the book of Revelation about Jesus. But the single best place to learn about Jesus Christ is in the Gospels. The second point is that the Gospel refers to the message of Christ. And the word Gospel, I think you know this, means good news. It's the good news of Christ. Basically, that he wants to save us from our sin and from death and give us a brand new life. And so we're going through the Gospel of John so we can learn about the Gospel of Jesus. That's the point. That's what we're doing these number of weeks here, and many weeks. And the more we go through the Gospel of John, I know as I've been going through these past months, I get so excited. I am learning so, so much more about the Gospel of Jesus. And it's for us. It's what God wants us to know and learn and apply to our lives. We looked at John 3. We looked at John 4 today. We're beginning to look at John 5. Turn your Bibles, unless you want to listen on, to John chapter 5. I want to read the first 16 verses. John chapter 5, 1 through 16. John 5, verse 1. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is, in, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for, the, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, in that condition, he said, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it's a Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath, and it's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin any more, so that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. 
So this passage then is about how Jesus heals this man who'd been sick for 38 years. A number of things I want to just mention briefly here. First of all, this healing by Jesus is truly a miracle of God because because Jesus totally healed this person. You all understand going to doctors. You've all, I assume, been to a doctor before. Some are good and some aren't so good. But the thing I want to say to you is this. Before you ever go to the doctor, always pray to the chief doctor. Always. I mean, always. Sometimes Jesus will heal you whatever you have. You don't need to go to some other doctor. I'm not saying doctors are bad, but just, that's just, just to mention that. It says in Psalm 103, it says he pardons all our iniquities and heals all our diseases. So even if we are healed, God can use doctors, but really ultimately it's God through Christ that they're the ones healing us. Verse 14 says, Behold, you become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. This next point is this man's sickness resulted from sin. I want to just mention two points here. It could be specifically that is this man's sin actually then resulted, the consequence of his sin is that he was sick, that he got lame. That's the first point. Or the second point is this, and it's a general point, is that really all sickness results from sin. All sickness, that is sin. It's, it's true then that sin is that which leads to sickness, and it's that which leads to, to death. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, we see there's sin, and all of a sudden the whole world is corrupted because of this sin. And so it corrupts our physical bodies as well. Thirdly, the works that Jesus did was evidence was proof that he was not just a man, but was God in the flesh. Turn to John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. John 20, the last two verses of that chapter, John 20, verse 30, 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. We see that connection then between these miracles, these works of God, and people then believing in the Lord Jesus. See, God wanted people to to see these miracles, and not everybody in Israel saw a miracle, but I can't help but think that everybody heard about them. He wanted people to see and or hear about these miracles so they'd realize that this Jesus was both God and man and therefore then had the ability not just to physically heal but also to spiritually heal to save people from their sins. The fourth thing we see here is that Jesus did this miracle on the Sabbath. The Jews, the legalistic Jews, that is, did not like that. This is one of the reasons they persecute him, others as well. But this is a, one we see very, very common in the Gospels, Jesus doing some kind of miraculous work on the Sabbath and the and the Pharisees and others are getting all upset. Let's continue, John five seventeen to 24. He answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raised the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Again, a, a, a number of points here. But what we see here, this passage is, is really about how Jesus is God and is perfectly united with God in carrying out the purposes of God. But let me share some of the main points. First, we see the Father loves the Son. And they had this wonderful, this, this perfect, this glorious relationship with each other, the Father and the Son. And they were always communicating with each other. They were perfectly united together in this relationship, the Father and the Son. Secondly, this relationship that, that the Father had with the Son was a relationship with a purpose. They had a purpose to accomplish the work of saving people from their sins. That was their primary purpose. Three, we see that Jesus and his Father are both working. They're always working. They're working together. They're perfectly united in their working. They are a perfect team. We see that, John 5, 17. And the primary work here, I say their primary work, because they did many things, is stated here. They are to save people, and they're to judge people. They're to save those who believe in Jesus and judge people, judge those who don't believe in Jesus. Pretty simple. But we also see as a father is the one who delegated the work of saving, that is, of giving life, delegated that work to Jesus, and delegated the work of judging to Jesus. We see that. The fathers, in fact, what we see there is that Jesus didn't do anything. This is really interesting. Jesus didn't do anything. You think about his life on earth and all the things that he did. He didn't do anything unless he saw the father doing it. That is, unless it was the Father's desire, the Father's plan, unless the Father wanted him to do that. So in all this, we see the Father's leadership, and we see Jesus, his submission, his perfect submission and humility to his Father. What we also see here is, is God the Father's ultimate purpose was that his Son would be honored and glorified. And the Father knew that if his Son would, was glorified and honored, that he would be too. We read that verse in, in, in John 17. It says, The Father, Jesus is praying to the Father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. So you see this, this, this intricate, this intimate connection. There's no jealousy. There's no competition between the Father and the Son. They both wanted the other one to be glorified. That's what we see and understand. Fifth, let's go back to... Um, John 5, 24, I want to read this again. First, you've heard, I'm sure, many times. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. So first we understand that a person must hear the word of God. He must hear it with his ears and he must hear it with his heart. Both are essential with your ears and with your heart. That is, then they can understand this, this, this word, that is, this gospel message that is being spoken to them. Again, we see the unity, the, the working together of the Father and the Son, and, and what you see from this verse here is that really he who believes in the Son is one who believes in the Father, and who believe, he who believes in the Father is one who believes in the Son. And that message is conveyed so many times in the gospel, particularly of John. This, this belief, because you see... You see, they're one. They're working together. They're always united in their working and their purpose and what they're doing. So we see that. Turn to John 3.16. And we'll just read these two verses. 
And, and as you read these verses, think about the work of the Father and you think about the work of the Son. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved the world. Then he gave his Son. And the Son, of course, was willing to come down here to earth. God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Again, of course, we know that it was the work of Christ by which people are saved. Go back to John chapter 3, verse, verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we see the work of all three. All three here are working in this, this, this area of salvation. They're all perfectly united in this work of saving people. And this is really a profound truth. I've said this before, but you have to understand this. There's no other religion like this where you have the Trinity, where God is a Trinity. It's, it's uniquely to Christianity to what we know, to what the Bible says. There's the, there's the Father, God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit, and they're all perfectly working together. And I would even suggest as you go through life and your relationship, you know, you're walking along, you're driving along, you're here doing this, whatever, think about your relationship with the Father, think about your relationship with the Son, and think about the relationship with the Holy Spirit, because you have one with all. It's with God, but it's with the members of the Trinity. It's, it's, such, it's such a wonderful truth. That, 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 God, that, that we have this, 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 this working of God in our lives. Next, we understand the person who hears and believes in the Father and in Jesus has eternal life. Eternal life defined in John 17, verse 3, uh, is, is that we know God and we know Jesus Christ. That there's other aspects of it, but that's, that's the bottom line. You have this relationship, this eternal and permanent, personal, intimate relationship with both God the Father and God the Son. What we also see there, it says you pass from death to life. Passing, of course, is that which takes place at a certain point in time. And once a person has his life, he always has his life. He never loses his salvation. We've talked about that. We'll talk about that more in, in the future. Next, the person who hears and believes will never be judged for a sin. Never be judged. And that's because Jesus was judged for us. He paid for our own sins. That's what he did. So we don't have to pay for our sins. You think about this. Jesus paid for your sins. You don't have to pay for your sins. You don't have to be judged for sins. He did it for you. This wonderful verse, Isaiah 53, verse um, 5, says, Jesus he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. A great verse, one of the best ones in terms of the, the work of the Son, in terms of, of doing the work for us and paying for our sins. We're going to talk more about this Thursday. In fact, Isaiah 53 is our, is our message for our Monday Thursday uh, time this, this, this coming week. Next, number five, the verbs hear and believes and has are all what tense? What tense are they? Here, believe, has, present tense. They're all present tense. That means that once we believe, as soon as we believe, we obtain salvation. It's instantaneous. It doesn't say that you hear and believe and will receive eternal life. I mean, there's so many people in the world, and I'm talking about other religions and churches and denominations that, boy, they're just confused. You know, I, I told you, I grew up in one like this. Well, I wasn't sure if I was going to save, you know, till you die. And I think, well, that's not it. Once you believe, as soon as you believe, you have eternal life. It's so clear from this verse. You, you can say it 
this is all you need is this verse. And many other verses say it. You have it. That's it. You're born again at a point in time, just like you're physically born at a point in time, so too spiritually, some point in time, whether you know when that is or not. That is, that is receiving salvation, being born again, becoming a child of God, then is that which takes place sometime during your life here on this earth. That's, that, that's what we're saying. Let's continue on in these verses, John 5, 25 to 30. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself, and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. A number of other points we need to mention here. First of all, those who are dead and then hear the voice of Jesus, these are the ones who will live. The word dead, of course, is referring to those who are spiritually dead, do not have the life of God in them. The word live means those who are then spiritually alive, do have the life of God in them. It says then, the hour is coming and now is. Okay, what does that mean? The hour is coming and now is. Now, uh, this, this, these words now is, we, we, we talked about before, now is, and it, it means we're spiritually alive. We're spiritually alive, and it takes place again during our life here on this earth. It's a present tense. It happens now. But the hour is coming, of course, is referring to the future, and that's referring to when we get our new bodies, when we're physically per- perfect. That, of course, takes place at the coming of Christ. So there's two things. Now is when we're justified. Time is coming when we're glorified. Verse 28, look at this phrase here. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. And it goes on to say, some to a resurrection of judgment, some to a resurrection of life. So this this phrase, um, an hour is coming, appears again. And expands on what we just saw in the previous verse. And what it talks about here is this hour is coming when there will be a resurrection of life and a resurrection of judgment. That's, that's the point he's trying, trying to make here. The resurrection of life, of course, refers to when believers are glorified and get their brand new body. It happens at, at, at when Christ returns. The resurrection of judgment, which happens a thousand years later. The resurrection of life takes place at the end of this age. It takes place at the time of the rapture. That's when we're glorified. But the resurrection of judgment, you go to Revelation chapter 20, the resurrection of judgment happens at the end of the millennial kingdom, okay? The resurrection of judgment, the resurrection of life, you get a brand new glorified body. That's for believers. The resurrection of judgment is for those who are unbelievers. They will also get a resurrected body. We don't talk much about this, but it's true. And let me say, it's a hideous body. It's a gross body. It's an ugly body. And it's perfectly suited for an eternity of pain and punishment. That's the truth. That's the truth. Resurrection of life, God wants to give us life, and the resurrection of judgment for those who reject 
Christ. The phrase good deeds in these verses does not mean that we're saved by our good deeds. I believe we all know that, but that we do good deeds because we are saved. We then read also understand there's people who do evil deeds, and these then are the unbelievers who will be judged and punished according to their sin. It says in, in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, it says, These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. So this strong verse. People don't like this idea of hell. It says it right there. 